0818-715-815. Hello, good afternoon and a very welcome to Liveline. Five one double five one. Five one double five one is our text number. Anya, good afternoon. What happened, Anya? Well, we were going to a party, a birthday party, over in London. So I went. I went to the local uh, beautician that I go to to get my nails done. Okay. And um, so during the time that she was doing my nails, we heard a loud bang. Um, I thought it was just maybe a door kind of banging or something, okay. but. The, the girl who was doing my nails jumped up and she ran out into another room and the other beautician who worked there had collapsed and she was on the floor. So um, the, the, the girl called me and she said, Anya, would you ever just get, you know, phone 999? And uh, mm-hmm. so I phoned 999. It was the first time I'd ever actually phoned them, but they were very nice. And the lady there said to me, she said, just keep me posted about the girl that, was, that had collapsed. So I, um, I knew that, that um, the other beautician and myself wouldn't be strong enough to lift the girl. You know, she was really a dead weight and to put her on her side, you know. So I ran out and this lovely man came in and he was able to put the girl on her side in the recovery position. Okay. And um, then we put a little blanket over her to keep her warm. And then the um, the uh, first responders came and they were really good and they kind of took charge of the situation and then the ambulance crew came and um, I was I was so relieved that that there was help there, um, and uh, so I kind of relaxed. But all of a sudden, then I collapsed. Okay. Yeah. Oh God. So, um, oh. so they so th- they got one of the ambulance people who had come for the other girl now who had collapsed, yeah. and she's doing fine now, thank God. But okay. anyway, they they um, they came out and I was gone, and they uh, so I suffer with. Um, PTSD because okay. 10 years ago I was And do you down. think just just before Anya do you yeah. think so the the other woman is you, you, you do your your more than enough to yeah. try and help the other woman yeah. and the other woman the ambulance come and she's taken away No uh, it was before she was taken before, away Before okay Yeah but then you you collapsed Yes And when you say collapsed do you mean you went unconscious or yes. you yeah. You had to have a chair and a glass of water? Or? No, no, no. I actually slid down the wall. Oh, I was standing at the wall. So anyone looking at this would have got us, who had seen the first incident yeah. a few minutes earlier that you've been so brilliant helping out in, would have got an awful shock when they saw the Good Samaritan go down. Well, they thought I was messing, do you know? Oh, and they were saying, God. But I, it's just, I suffer with PTSD. Okay. And that was one of the reasons that I kind of sent the, the email was because um, when the ambulance crew came, they immediately did the kind of prick on your finger to see, do you have diabetes, you know? But um, I, what, the problem with me is that I was knocked down 10 years ago okay. in um, a church car park. A car just went out of control after mass and it was heading for my daughter. Oh, and uh, she was standing up against a car. So I jumped out in front of her and yeah. um, I saved her but the car threw me up in the air and I came down on my head and I was unconscious for for quite some time and then it ran over my my husband's 
uh, foot and then it lifted up a jeep that the newspaper man had so it was very forceful and was there anyone in the car on you? yeah there were two people there was the lady driving the car and her mother accidentally took off so to speak well I think you see she wasn't used to the car it was uh, I think she put her foot on the acceleration instead of the brake and um, so the the problem with trauma is that it's like a carpet it lifts up um, it lifts up the other trauma. So the, when the girl fell on the ground mm-hmm. and I heard the bang, that bang reminded me of when I was knocked down and I could hear the bang of my head on the ground. It, I got an awful, everybody said around too that I got an awful bang uh, on my head. And that lifted up the previous trauma of which was the worst trauma there's always the first the worst and the most recent so the car accident lifted up the when i lost my little baby in 1985 um she was still born it was neglect but we didn't take it any further um because wouldn't bring her back so uh, so that lifted up that trauma and then that lifted up when, you know, when I was a child, my mother was in hospital for quite some time. So in trauma, there's always the first, the worst and the most recent. And the thing is that often when trauma happens, you're so traumatized that you freeze. They call it the frozen present. And so you freeze the incident and you can't cope with it. Your body just reacts by freezing it, putting it into the deep, the deep freeze. So you kind of appear as if you're grand and you're dealing with everything. But something else happens and it triggers it. Mm-hmm. And it's like the rug is pulled from under you and you re-experience the trauma again, you know, of, let's say, the worst, which was our little baby that died. And then I got septicemia and I was given an hour to live myself. I was given given injections okay. of Valium into the womb. I was pregnant and had to have my yeah, appendix yeah. out. So um, so I I went through the tunnel and all I had um, that near-death experience. So that I, I didn't get any counselling or anything after it. I kind of just got on with that my life. Be, and, as you, you probably, yeah, I know. You know, and I, I know we what had happens, so just get on we, with it. Yeah, yeah unfortunately, we, that's what, yeah, that's that's what, that's what the attitude was, yeah. Yeah, so basically in trauma and... I was very interested when when you were talking to, to, to the people, you know, who had, in 1985, who had, you know, who had to come and get, get the, you know, the, the organs of the babies because we were very lucky insofar as I had to have my appendix removed. The baby was, came out really well out of it. The consultant said to me, mm-hmm. you're out of danger, the baby's out of danger, and um, so you can relax. And the baby was kicking away, but... He went off on holiday and didn't leave somebody in charge. So basically, okay. I was be, I was given Valium into the womb injections and it killed the baby and the baby died. Oh. And uh, then I got septicemia. But they didn't have to they didn't have to do an autopsy, which was wonderful because it was quite clear the reason that the baby had died. The baby had died because of these injections of Valium and um, she was poisoned basically and um, so they so we were able to bring our little baby now it was very traumatic we brought mm-hmm. her on our knee in a white coffin to, and we got her her own little grave and Pia we called her Pia and she's in her own little grave and we go and we visit her and 
then I got pregnant, thank God, um, on our another little baby, and I've had I've have two girls oh, now, brilliant. which is great. There. But just to go back and 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 I I, I should say, Anya, and thank you for reminding me. Uh, I should I should say that that week we did or four days we did yeah. and yeah. and organs being taken oh, from. Yeah. Deceased, uh, deceased children. Now I know there's new legislation coming through, and it can't come quick enough. I yeah, can tell you, yeah, yeah. because our file upstairs is full of women who have been treated very, yeah. very badly very and badly. dishonestly. Yeah. Uh, in and again, it, it it dovetails into where we began. Unfortunately, this this yeah. very awful week for so many people because of the death of Vicky. I uh, know. Vicky, Vicky it was a cover up. It was a yeah. cover up. Yes. Yes. Then we had the haemophilia, the haemophilia, uh, yes. uh, um but back in the 90s, women again, a cover-up. That was yeah. a cover-up. Um, the treatment of the, the whole issue of menopause, in, it wasn't an organised cover-up, but women had the, the HRT uh, advice had not been updated because... Anyway, we don't know. It's been updated now, thankfully, and a lot yeah. has changed. Well, I, I, I had changed. that problem yeah, myself the because last year. I... But I'm just saying yeah, th- thanks yeah. just to, to, to say to people yeah. who, who are... Uh, and you, you heard the people who were on about their babies and organs. It was yeah, absolute, my heart went out to them because but just we to go back to the, could have had that. Yeah. I know. I just... Um, but just to go back to that yeah. episode in the shop, the post-traumatic yes, stress yes, syndrome, yes. when you were sliding down the wall, yes. were you conscious... No, I was, I was, well, all I can say to you is my eyes were closed. I was aware of everything going on around me, but I couldn't speak. And I was, I was unconscious. The, one of the ambulance men who had come for the other girl tried to, to get me, you know, kind of slapping my face gently Uh now and just saying, come on, come on, Anya, come on. But I couldn't respond. But then I felt as if it was like this little robotic voice came from inside me saying, PTSD, PTSD. And he said, oh, God, that makes sense. It's just collapsed with PTSD. And then they got my phone and but I have a lock on my phone. And so I could hear them saying, oh, God, we can't get into our phone. And I was able to give them the code. But again, my eyes were closed and I was kind of, I suppose, in some sort of a kind of semi-conscious yeah, kind of yeah. state. Well, thankfully, yeah. thankfully you're okay now. Thankfully you've... Yeah, I had to get another ambulance probably. Okay, no, that's, that's <laughs> the uniqueness of the story. Let's listen to Catherine Benson. Uh, Catherine, good afternoon. Um, Hi, It's your mother. What happened? Well, I tell you, Joe, it was two weeks ago now. My mother had okay. a fall. She yeah. fell in the house and um, she was nearly two hours, an hour and 15 minutes on the floor before an ambulance came. Yeah. Now she's 81 years of age and basically I think it's an absolute disgrace for my mother or anybody else to be left on the floor for an hour and 50 minutes. And where, where, an where did this happen, Catherine? In the house. She fell in the no, house. No, but where about, whereabouts in, in, in Ireland, in Dublin? And, and, in Dublin and yeah. Pear Street, yeah. Oh, yeah. Not too far from Fire Brigade headquarters, but they've only, no. there's only two ambulances there and every time I drive by they're never there because they're out. They seem to be 24-7. Um, well, so, was there was anyone saying, "Well, could you get your mother to the hospital your, herself, yourself?" 
No, no, we were told when we rang the ambulance at two minutes past three to leave her and not touch her. She was in a desperate pain, so we knew something was broken. She actually broke her, um, she fractured her humerus bone. That's yeah, where she fractured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were told not to uh, move her because you do more damage. But she was an hour and 50 minutes on the floor. Four times we rang the ambulance in that period of time. And she was left. I, I don't understand, like, like what class is an emergency when you ring an ambulance? Yeah. And, you know, um, why would you leave a woman well, you heard, on the floor well, for that uh, long? Well, they don't do it deliberately, of course, but you heard, the, I think it was the union last week saying that they, because of, uh, of COVID and illness among staff and, and whatever, that they, there were six uh, appliances. Now, I don't know whether the appliances normally uh, refers to fire engines, but in Dublin, the emergency service, uh, the ambulance service is run by... Dublin Fire Brigade, it's another, it's, it's two, okay, yeah. another two yeah. now. How is she now, Catherine? Well, she's not too good, Joe, because oh, she, she has a health oh, condition. God. Yeah, but I mean, she's on the floor, She, her legs were cramping, she was getting terrible cramps, she wanted to go to the bathroom, and after the fourth phone, phone call when I got the ambulance then, her breathing was changing, and she actually oh, says to me, I think I'm dying. But it was when I rang the fourth time, and I actually said them more to the ambulance man, the ambulance man then said to me, the fire brigade, when I rang, they actually said, yeah. OK, we have an ambulance at Trinity College, College Green, and there'll be an ambulance with it in two minutes. So okay. when her breathing started changing, yeah. there was an ambulance here quicker. Okay. But I just yeah. don't understand what's an emergency for, for somebody to be lying on the floor for nearly two hours at 81 years of age. Yeah. Okay. okay. Joe, can I come in there for oh, a second? you briefly, yeah. Yeah, I just want... The ambulance that came to me actually came from Tullamore. They were yeah. up delivering somebody into the matter and they came, they, they got the way. call That's and they lucky, came lucky. out to me. I was very lucky. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. Anya and Catherine and, and uh, kind regards to your mother, Catherine. Uh, Joe with rte.ie. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. And unfortunately, uh, again, a uh, health warning, we have to go back to the... Uh, Spiritans and the Holy Ghost uh, order, because as people might be aware, on Wednesday, uh, when the it was the first media briefing given by the Holy Ghost order, and it was a press conference organised by a PR company. Obviously, they're the ones to do it, and but also the the uh, four victims came along who were supporting the Holy Spirit uh, orders campaign for. Or what they what they call the restorative justice uh, program. Now I asked a number of questions at that press conference, and I asked why uh, the Spiritans had refused to. Uh, they said they have a, a list of seventy seven uh, abusers. Um, up to last Thursday, when we were getting multiple allegations about different individuals, and remember, on day one, the doc on one 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 name was in the public domain. By Liveline that Friday, I think there was nine names in the public domain and in each occasion the Spiritans were coming back and saying, yes, that person unfortunately is one of the 77. But however, things changed either on Friday or over the weekend, before the press conference anyway, and the Spiritans said quite clearly, we gave them five more names last Friday. I handed them again to the uh, provincial last Wednesday and um, they told us categorically they will, be not, they will not be confirming any names Names, uh, any other names, even of abusers who are deceased. Now, we are naming another one today, and his name is Father Jimmy Duggan. 
He was in uh, Rockwell uh, Catering College, which is run by... Uh, it's in Rockwell College, which is run by um, the Holy Spirit. And uh, Patrick Bennett is in... Uh, he's across the Atlantic. And are uh, you in um, America or Canada, Patrick? I don't know. Um, pa- pa- how are you, Patrick? I'm fine, Joe. I'm in Duncannon. Oh, you're in Duncannon? Oh, good. I'll be there <laughs> later on myself. Okay, okay. I thought you were... I'm, I'm confused because we've just got... Uh, confirmation from the Gardaí in the last four or five minutes. As you know, we've been trying yeah. because the Spiritans are not cooperating anymore. We have to, a very small team, have to do, dig deep and long and hard and late into the night to try and stand up some of these names. But uh, Father Father Duggan, the Gardaí have told us, was uh, they, they had multiple uh, allegations against him and the, one of the law officers involved in the case um, contacted us as well and he verified uh, tell us about this man, Jimmy Duggan, Father Jimmy Duggan, a Holy Ghost uh, priest in Rockwell, Patrick. Um, the question is, where do I begin, Joe? Yeah. Uh, uh, on the outside, a very amiable man. Yeah. Um, on the inside, something completely different. Um, at the time, I was in Rockwell Hotel School. Rockwell Catering College from 1984 to 1986. Okay. Uh, we were boarders there for two weeks at a time. Okay. Got home every second weekend. Uh, there was approximately 30, 40 of us to a dorm. Um, on my second night there, um, I heard him doing patrol when the lights went out. Uh, heard the door closing behind him and after that the door opened again and he had obviously come back into the room but was trying to pretend that he hadn't okay. uh, came directly to my bed uh, I had a duvet at the time mm-hmm. and I'm not sure whether he was on his knees or on one knee beside my bed but his hand was okay doing things he should not have been doing yeah yeah and at the same time he was doing something himself to himself okay um did this happen again patrick this happened again and again and again and again and again and uh it was kind of a case of lying in the dorm, waiting for him to come in and hoping that he wouldn't pick you. Do you because think he, he always, Sorry, do you think... He, he always picks somebody. Um, did you... Uh, were you able to report it? No. Uh, that was just the least thing on my mind at that stage. Uh, do, you, do, you, do you believe Duggan was abusing other children, other young people? I, I believe I saw it. You saw it? As I say, when when he'd come into the dorm, you'd hope he wouldn't pick you, he'd pick somebody else, as, as kind of mean as that may sound. So how long were you there for, Patrick, in, in Rockwell? Uh, I was there for two years, Joe. Um, uh, the most serious incident that occurred to me came at the end of my first year. Um... We had to do the old city and guilds exams mm. for first year shouting and 
I had to go undergo surgery and I missed my exam date. So I had to reschedule. Well, of course, okay. And do it again. Mm. Um, my parents drove me to Rockwell. Everybody, the place was empty. In the catering college, end of it. Um, so I discovered I was having my exam in Jimmy Duggan's office alone. Um, rushed through my exam as quickly as I could so I could get the hell out of there, but uh, it didn't work out that way. He asked to see my scar. Uh, and your scar was in uh, your scar was in a private place. Fairly close. Yeah. Close okay. Um, the sickening part about that is that I had to um, perform. Do something to him, okay? But this, you just finished the exam. You had to mm. do it in 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 his room because you had missed it because of surgery, and mm. he used the surgery at the end of the exam to say to you, "I want to look at what the the extent is," and then he abused you and made him perform a sex act on on a, made you perform a sex act on him. Yeah, and my parents sitting in a car thirty yards away with nothing I could do. And one thing that he said to me was. Uh, I, I don't know if I can say this, but I'm going to say it, is to make sure that I didn't get any stains on his pants. Oh, good God. Now, um, did, did you... Uh, how, did, how did you get away from that terror? Well, um, as I say, it was a case of the quicker it was done, the quicker it was done, and I got out of there. Yeah. Uh, Travelled back to New Ross from Castro Care, wherever you want to call it, uh, with the taste of that in my mouth, with my parents trying to tell them that I got on well with my son. This is the profile of Father James Duggan. Father James Duggan is one of the five names I, I handed to uh, the provincial of the Holy of the Holy Ghost Order, uh, Martin Kelly, uh, at their press conference on Wednesday. He said he would not be, I don't know whether he even bothered looking at the names, but we'd given to them last Friday, so they'd seen the names in numerous emails and phone messages. Um, he said he, they would not be confirming. But yet this is the James Duggan that the Spiritans, uh, 48 hours ago, refused to, um, refused to confirm uh, was an abuser. Now, uh, Patrick um, Patrick Bennett in Duncanon, I'm going to stay with us, please. And, and yeah, Patrick, I, little, the, the, pra- the depravity, Patrick, of what happened to you, and I'm so, it, it means nothing coming from me, but I just feel so awful that you had to go through that. Um, uh, it's uh, horrific. It's beyond, it's beyond horror, beyond horror. I I'll promise I'll come back to you in a sec. I want to bring okay. in Frank, Frank Morphy, who's, who is the man in the United States. Uh, Frank, what is your connection with Pat, with do we even call him Father Duggan at this stage? By the way, uh, Frank, and there's another Pat on the line as well. Um, th- this is the profile the Spiritans have of this man, James Duggan. James, uh, he, the usual uh, uh, Holy Spirit, Kimmage Manor, 
uh, Clonliffe College, uh, ordained by John Charles McQuaid, then back to Kim, Kimmage Manor, worked in the promotion office, director of Kimmage Manor from 1974 to 1980. Then he moved to Rockwell College, where he became dean of the catering school, which is where Patrick Bennett was until 1985. And then he became director of Camp Rockwell. He served for a number of years as a curate in the parish of Kilcrohan and Bantry in the Diocese of Cork and Ross. He was appointed bursar to the provincialate community, obviously, of the Holy Spirits, from nine, Holy, the Holy Ghost, the Spiritans, from 1994 until 2000. Jimmy loved the outdoor life and was very generous with his time. He was often seen in the grounds of Kimmage Manor on the lawnmower cutting the grass. Father Jimmy died in the Marion House Kimmage on the 12th of May 2016 and was buried in the, uh, it was an individual grave, it's not a, in, in, the, uh, in the Holy Spirit section of Dardistown Cemetery in North County Dublin. Uh, Frank Murphy in Oregon in the United States, uh, what, was, what was your experience of this man Duggan? Well, I was there from 82 to 84 in the catering part. Okay. And um, I didn't, I, it didn't abuse me, but I was, I seen it happening. Okay. Um, and I don't know why we didn't say anything when we were there. Everybody knew. Um, I think like everybody that was anything to do with the, with the uh, catering had to know what was going on because it was always, some of it was talked about, you know, he was always touchy feely and yeah. coming in at night time into the dorm. And I was trying to remember how many was in the dorm. And I think, I think it might've been either 42 or 48 in the main dorm. And, um, and he would come in, of course, to do his checks, you know, yeah. and he would, you'd, you'd just hear him kind of walking up and down and you'd hear people say, get away from me. And, uh, and sometimes he'd hear him or he'd be at one area for a while. And yeah. especially in the little section I was in, there was a, I, I, he picked on one on one kid that was there. Yes, or the other day, I think it was Mick, um, Mr. Walsh. He had said something about uh, the mail, uh, holding mail and having some uh, come pick it up. And I remember this same yeah. same uh, kid would do that um, over at the swimming pool. And, and Rockwell was a funny place because we had all the other parts of Rockwell there. And they were all beautiful um, buildings and stuff, you know. The, board, the day school. It was a very expensive day school. Yeah, um, and but it, we and were not. We were not. Uh, I know. We that. were not allowed. We were not allowed walk across the front of anything. We always had to go in the back door. Um, our dorms. When you might think, oh, it was a beautiful dorm. It was a beat up, old, um, prefabricated building. There was some windows were gone out. We had heating, I think, when we weren't there. We had heating for like an hour a day when we weren't there. We wa we washed in in uh, food in uh, uh, troughs like that you'd see in a farm farmyard yeah, troughs yeah. Um, with cold water. Um, there was one foam I remember for 120 of us. When if you went to the other side, you would see foams, banks of foams, and yeah. so we were always the ones that were. We felt like we were the second. Second class citizen, you know, yeah. to the boarding Even school, third class to the fee pay. Oh yeah, right. yeah. Okay. We we were we were never to be heard or seen. And we were there. And Frank, were you cooking to, for the school? Yeah, we we cooked for the we cooked for both for all three schools that were there, including all the staff. So there even was though one, two, you three, even two, though two. you were you were late. Well, well, I have to. Yeah, 
I have to, I mean, okay, there's two sides to it. There was yeah, the terror yeah. of, of Duggan and what he was doing. And, you know, if you got into an argument or if he got mad at you, he'd absolutely turn red. But the other side of it was that there was no other culinary school like it, you know, because yeah. we were working uh, every second day. And when we came out, you know, even in, after first year, you go into a hotel or something, you'd be, you know, where, who's, the rec, who's the Rockwell kid? Here, you take care of that. Because we knew our stuff. So, okay. you know, it was literally beaten into you. But um, I, I um, called. This has been bugging me for a long, long time. Okay. And, and there was some, there is, and I can't even say anything about it, but there was a, as someone who I know who is not with us. Um, but I called and called and called back in the early 2000s and just realizing it's 20 years ago now. Yeah. Um, to talk to someone at the, you know, I just call them the Holy Ghost Fathers because I don't know why they call okay. them. They had to change their name. Is they just got too many complaints or something? I don't know. But I called and called and called, and it was only when I threatened that I would go to media and stuff that somebody actually called me back. Mm -hmm. And then when they did talk to him, he says, uh, uh, oh, well, we don't want to disturb him. Like, he's getting old, and, and he's lived, a, you know, a good life, and... and and really, we just want to let him rest in peace, you know, so he can enjoy his last years and well, stuff. He, and he, had 60, he, he had 16 more years. Yeah, I know. I just realized that yeah. now. And what did he do in those 16 years, you know? Um, the other thing was I used to go to uh, Mars Fathers. They were very different. Um, and when I was leaving that school, the, the principal turned to me and he says, Ah, where are you off to, Murphy? And I said, Oh, I'm going to Rockwell Hotel School. And he says, oh, the Sister of Mercy have no charity, and the Sister of Charity have no mercy, and the Holy Ghost Fathers, well, they were never touched by the Holy Ghost Fathers, or by the Holy Ghost. So take care of yourself, watch yourself. Now okay. it came from a, okay. from a Mars father. Did, did, did Duncan ever come to your bed, Frank, to be, to be blunt? He came, you? yeah, okay. he, he got, yeah. Okay. he came, uh, but... And did the same. Um, I was a little and, bit... Well, he tried, he tried, yeah. he tried. Okay. He tried, he tried okay. on a number and of And it's worth, it's worth pointing out, Frank and Patrick Bennett and the next caller are in different parts of the world. They both, they, three of them in, uh, approached us independently over a week ago with this man's name, uh, Duggan. We put this, we, we said to the Holy Ghost or the Spiritans, as I now know, we have three allegations from three different parts of the world about one individual from people who, who, as far as we know, don't know each other, and they still they stonewalled us and they said we will not be uh, we will not be uh, cooperating with Liveline any any further. Um, Pat, good afternoon. This is another Pat. Um, you went to Rockwell in eighty three to eighty five. Hi, Joe. Yeah, yeah I uh, was on with you there on Monday, but okay, you couldn't, um, you couldn't but name. I wasn't allowed to mention yeah, there. Well, you are now. You are now. It's been a, it's yeah. been a long battle, and we've we've uh, a whole another list of names that we're going to be working on, and uh, the Spiritans won't won't uh, cooperate with us, but we will do unless we want to talk about this new thing they're talking about, uh, which they call uh, restorative justice. That's all. That's their. That's what they're interested in now. And it was mentioned in the doll yesterday. He was on RT News that they're now saying they're being overwhelmed by the restorative justice, as they call it, campaign they're launching. So it's obviously brilliant from their point of view, and hopefully for for survivors if that's what's happening. Um, but we are we are naming Duggan now. Um, you were in Rockwell College. What age were you, Pat, when you came across Duggan? Uh, Seventeen, as far as I know, Joe. Yeah. Okay, and. 
you see, there's there's another mo here that they they watched for. We had one was one story last week of the twenty six we had, where he um one of the abusers realized one of the boys was vulnerable. He oh yeah, the guardie visited the college. And they asked for this boy, but as it happened, it was just a routine inquiry and had nothing to do with the boy. But the, the one of the abusers living in uh, Blackrock spotted that the guardie called in the boy and then used that as blackmail against him as he went about abusing him. What happened in your case, Pat? So it was me who was actually telling you that story, George. That was okay. actually me you were talking oh, about. Oh, good stuff. Well, then now, now, now my mind is, is frazzled at this stage. So tell, tell us what happened then. Well, basically, I said the guard came to question me about uh, an incident, and okay. Father Jim Duggan kind of copped onto it and um, called me into the office and stuff there at the time. And um, he said that he would keep me in the school without getting me thrown out, you know. And then, like Patrick and Frank were saying there, you're kind of you kind of have a bit of a target on you there. Like he's very good at yeah. picking people that are vulnerable, younger. Uh, some people are maybe not in the crowd or he, he, he pinpoints some reason and then he goes for you, you know. And um, I said um, what Patrick and Frank were saying there was absolutely 100% true, especially when you were in the dorms at night time and he'd come back in and you could hear him crawling and I still can hear his actually breath because he used to breathe very heavy when he was going around from bed to bed and everybody knew he was there and, you know, it's... Like, it's hard to imagine that, like, not one, that every single student and every member of staff knew actually what was going on. And a kind of a slightly different slant on... On a fair, without, 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 in fairness now, without naming any names, please don't. Oh, no. How, no. Do, you, how do you know others knew it was going Well, obviously, uh, with, with Patrick's call, Patrick Bennett and Duncan, and with Frank Murphy in the United States, and with yourself uh, in, in Ireland, the... The three of you knew what was going on because you were targeted by him to a greater or lesser extent. But how do you know others knew, Pat? It was kind of everybody talked about it. Okay. You know, saying, and oh, how, do you, how do you know, again, without naming anybody or naming any position, how do you know other staff in the, in the complex knew about him? Because everyone used to talk about it openly. Like, you used to call him Dougie and, you know, everyone used to talk about, I hope he doesn't come around tonight or, you know... Or oh, mm. if someone's called into the office, like people say, oh, it's your turn now, or whatever, you know. And okay. just getting back onto the whole Rockwell thing, Joe, I know you were talking about the Black Rock College and stuff like Yeah, yeah. We, we went to Rockwell Hotel School, okay, which is yeah. a part of the bigger complex in Rockwell. Yeah. But we were on a state-sponsored training program. Yeah, okay, paid. We were, we were okay. there, people with loads of money. Like, everyone there, Larry, on that place, actually got... Um, like a training program after they left school or whatever, you know? Okay. So, like, we were actually on a government course, same okay. as you'd have boss today in our solace or whatever. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. So, the gov- well, there's a, there's a strong argument that the government, the state, had responsibility in the other schools as well because they paid the teachers. They paid the, the, the perpetrators we've named so far. They were all paid for by the state. They are uh, Father Tom O'Brien, Father Aloysius Flood, Father Senan Curry, Father Gerard Hannan, uh, uh, Edward Baylor, um, Baylor again, and the, the names come up are coming up as I'm going down through the list again, again. Uh, uh, Gus Griffin, father, father, priest, uh, all deceased, by the way. Um, and then we got, we got into uh, other names as the Father Maloney came up. 
Henry Maloney, Arthur Carr, all fathers at that stage. Well, they were they were buried uh, with full full ecclesiastical honours, as they say. Arthur Carraher came up um, as well. And now the new name today is uh, Jimmy Jimmy Duggan. Pat and... Uh, Pat, I'll, I'll, go, I'll, I'll go to Pat in... Uh, Pat, I'm just speaking to who... Uh, Pat, were, were you aware that others like Frank Morphy had complained about this man 22 years ago? Uh, no, not at that time, Joe. Like okay. I went to the Gardaí a good few years ago. Okay, well done, well done. As for a start, for doing that. And then when when I was sent here Monday, Joe, when I went to the Gardaí, I actually put it up on the Rockwell Hotel School Facebook page. Okay, good man. And you want there are so many people have contacted me like with all their stories as well. I know people uh, who were abused by I won't mention any names, but it's up to them to come forward. But yeah. people have contacted me. I know people who have one person who was convicted of murder after being abused I know oh, so many people who are oh, on God. drink drugs I know people who committed suicide the, the, the stories that people have taught me personally yeah. in the last year and even I got so many phone calls in the last week from people who heard me on the show and I recognise your their voice stories yeah. and yeah they're absolutely horrendous show okay, I mean so what, horrendous. what do you think of what the Spiritans are now offering and that is and they brought in uh, four four men, uh, four victims, sorry, survivors, were with the Spiritans there on Wednesday at the press conference to say they they went to a meeting and they, they it was called restorative justice and they found it useful. And the, the, Spiritans, um, the Spiritans have apologised, by the way. Joe, can I come in on that? That's, that's Frank Morphy, yeah. No, Patrick. Patrick Bennett, sorry, my fault. Patrick and Duncanon. Okay, Patrick, yeah. yes, what do you think? Uh, as, as regards the restorative justice, Fern's report, the Ryan report, the Dublin report, 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 all gathering dust on shelves after costing billions of euros. The fact that this, the Holy Ghost fathers and our spiritans, whichever they want to call themselves, moved, knowingly moved abusers around, the, uh, not only the country, but around the world. It's, I think, in my opinion, it's time for the likes of Interpol or FBI or some, some big outside police force to investigate those who abused and those who abetted those to abuse and to to put them in handcuffs and where where appropriate put them in jail, no matter if they're ninety nine or sixty nine. Okay, and Patrick, can I ask you, what do you think of what the Spiritans are now offering and and they're they're recommending it because they 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 spoke yesterday that. And RT News reported that the restorative justice, as they call it, uh, though I can't find any definition of restorative justice that that coincides with what they're doing. But anyway, um, how, can, but that, how can I how can I restore justice or go through a restorative justice program with a dead priest, my dead parents, and all that I had to endure? What does? What does it mean? What does well, it do? Well, I'll tell you what they say it means. It says that they will, that five people or whatever, you can go to the, you can go to a meeting and in a venue of your choice 
Um, it seems Blackrock College has been the main venue for the, the people so far. You can have a meeting, usually at the weekend it seems. I'm going from what I heard at the press conference. Uh, the meeting goes on for at least an hour where you tell your story. There's four or five people on the other side, including the provincial of the Spiritans and the principal of whatever school, the current principal of whatever school you're making or whatever location you're making allegations against, plus the safety officer. And at the end of that session, they will apologise to you and offer to pay for counselling. Whoopie-doo. What you say? Whoopie-doo. I don't like... Uh, if they want to do that, fine. Let them do that. Let them spend their money on that. I want to see justice. I want to see people accountable, held accountable and paying a penalty. But what the Spiritans would say, what they, in fairness, what they are saying, which is the truth, like, the, the Duggan is dead. You're, you're, mm. you're abuser, Frank's abuser, Pat's abuser, he looks like he's abused lots more as well. He's dead. Uh, uh, the current uh, leadership in the Holy Ghost Order probably never met him. I don't know, maybe they did. He only died in 2016. Um mm. But they say it's nothing to do with us. We apologise on behalf of the order. Doesn't mean anything. Doesn't apologies mean nothing. Okay, stay with us. Joe at rte.ie. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. The, the, uh, the perpetrator we're talking about today in the... Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Ghost Order of Spirit was known as Father Jimmy Duggan and according to, let me find all this information, I can't find it now. He died in the Mar- in Marion House, Kimmage, Kimmage Manor, um, holy, uh, under the care of, of the Holy Ghost Order on the 12th of May 2016 when buried in the, uh, the I presume it's the, it's the Holy Spirit plot there you'll see it it's a massive it's not one headstone it's a everyone has an individual grave at least they they afforded their members that um, when we look at other graves in of, of people who lived in orphanages and mother and baby homes and magnet laundries they were never afforded an individual grave but everyone's entitled to an individual grave and this man died in 12th May 2016 okay let's listen to uh, one of the voicemails we've we've got in uh, about this issue again. We've we've two of them to play. This is the first one. Dear Joe, I would like you to know of a grooming story that happened in St Michael's College. I was in fifth year, 1979 to the best of my memory, and we had a religious retreat which lasted about three days. A priest from Blackrock College hosted the retreat in a newly built classroom in the schoolyard. Unfortunately, I cannot recall his name, but I understand he was well known for illicit behaviour. On one of the mornings, this priest gave us a lecture on masturbation and how wrong it was, and that if we did it, we would get acne on our face as a result. Being kids, all the lads in the class turned to face one fellow who was unfortunate enough to be covered in acne. This lad will have nothing to do with the school or its pupils since leaving school, probably as a result of that episode. Later in that afternoon, the same priest had one-on-ones with us for about 10 minutes for confession, where he asked me if I fondled myself, had thoughts about sex with girls or sex with boys or other people. I was lucky that I had an older brother who had me aware of these type of people, so I got myself out of there. That was a lucky escape for me. I had another lucky escape where I was one-on-one with Father Allo Flood on two days in a row, where he rang my parents after being kicked out of class for merely talking and then the next day to apologise to me for overreacting. 
My mum, God rest her, ripped into him the next day for that. Maybe she knew something of him that we are all finding out now. She checked with me after the second day to see if I was alright. I'm sorry for all the boys in the Holy Ghost schools who were assaulted by these people and who continue to suffer the consequences. David Roberts. David, good afternoon. Good afternoon, uh, Joe. How are you? You went to Willow Park School in, the, uh, in Black Rock in Dublin and Black Rock College from 64 to 74. Now, D- David, can I just ask you, were you, did you get in through the sibling rule, the parent rule, the relation to a Holy Ghost rule, or you got in through the interview process? No, we were new entrants to the school. Okay, okay, because... Uh, it's worth reminding people that we were looking at the Holy Ghost, and indeed, it's, it's it's not not just common to their schools; it's common to all fee-paying schools. First, if you have a sibling in the school, which David uh, didn't, if you have a sibling in the school, you automatically get in. If your father went to the school or your grandfather went to the school, you automatically got in. And if you're a relation of uh, a Holy Ghost priest, you automatically got in. Now, this this controversy arose around fee-paying schools a number of years ago because. They were saying the number of places available when you go through all that um, uh, is very is very is very few. But David got in through the uh, inter- interview uh, process. But it also means that there's an intergenerational loyalty to a, to to a school. Uh, David, you were there in from '64 to '74, and you witnessed, unfortunately, the the uh, the criminality of Sen and Curry, Father Sen and Curry. Yeah. Well, I I listened the other day to Sinbar. Yeah, and, uh, I would just verify every single word that Finbar said about the dormitory and uh, his treatment in the dormitory, and uh, how how often we got linen. You know, yeah. uh, it, it was shocking. But uh, particularly of uh, Father Curry, and Father Curry was a very charming man, and uh, you know he was a very well known rugby coach and very popular. And people found it very hard to believe these mm-hmm. stories when they started to circulate. Yeah, they felt yeah. it was impossible. But uh, Father Curry abused uh, several of my classmates. Right. And on one occasion, uh, in a maths class, and you could imagine the terror that we had, or that we were in of Father Curry. And he was a very, very violent man as well. And he used to beat boys with the duster. Uh, in- into to the point where they were snivelling wretches on the floor and hu- the humiliation of it and the power of it. Yeah. But on one o- this one occasion, uh, well, the one occasion which is playing in my head, is uh, the we were in a classroom. The classroom had benches and there was about five boys to a bench. And it, it was a rush to get into that class not to be at the outside on the top, on the left-hand side, which was where there was a short aisle up to where the windows were. And uh, Father Curry came, and I was in the second bench, and I was the second boy in. But the first boy on the bench, he lifted his sandal off the floor, and he placed it down on the seat between that boy and the next boy. Okay. And then he dry-humped him like a spaniel would do your leg. Oh, my gosh. And uh, we didn't realise, well, we didn't realise yeah, fully yeah. what he was doing yeah, or what the conclusion of that uh, treatment was, yeah. but until several years later. But that was in a room full of boys, probably somewhere over 25 boys in that. 
and we're all too terrified to talk about it. And I, you know, I, I don't know whether the boy told his mother. Yeah. Right? I certainly never told my parents what that happened until I was in my 40s. You know? But, but I, again, everything we hear about these uh, abusers, um, they did it, they did it openly. Oh, but they did. They did a lot of it in secret, obviously in their rooms or whatever, or the audiovisual room or whatever they could get in and lock. Um, but this was like Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Yeah. You know how, how people couldn't believe that that these people were capable of this. You know, and uh, if we think, I have heard people talking about a ring or a network. You know, there was no internet. There was no phone. Mm. So the only network these people had was uh, their bodies that they had made in Kimmage or the people that they had met subsequently, you know, in, in the order. And do you, do you believe...? I, I can't understand how, how so many men... So, and there was... Let's not forget it. There's a lot of good men who course, came through yeah. that order, right? But how so many people uh, came through that order and that system... And they went in as bright uh, young boys from all around the country, like presumably like Father Curry, and they came out of came out monsters, and did so much damage during their entire careers. And his career went on into his seventies. He was still teaching religion. What do you think of what the Spiritans are now uh, pursuing? That is, they're offering. Uh, uh, we, uh, they're, ca- they're calling it restorative justice. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't abused personally, and I yeah. think it's it's up to those people individually. But for me, uh, I don't want somebody sitting in a room handing me a Kleenex telling me they're sorry, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think it has to go through a public inquiry to try and understand how these people w- were created. And we know that at the time, there was a limited knowledge about how to deal with uh, pedophiles or pederasts in schools. And they thought it was a sin. And once people said, sorry, perhaps it was curable, right? That they wouldn't do it again. I I won't rob a bank again, right? But these people had this compulsion and should have been entirely removed from children. I don't think people completely understood that. But after the fourth or fifth complaint, and there must have been multiple complaints, why were these people still left in the order? And that's the most criminal part of it. And why was no report given to the police? I, I want a public inquiry myself, uh, but I think it's up to each individual whether they mm. want to participate in the restorative justice justice program. Well, that's what we, it, it, you see. Again, I I'm baffled by this. That that's what they're calling it. But I don't. I, from what I heard at the meeting today, and if it suits some people, that's absolutely fine. But this restorative justice program, any definition I've read, and I've read a lot about in the last few days about restorative justice, I'm still trying to find a definition of restorative justice where the offender is not present, where yeah. the offender is not present, and. Um, and as for a program, my understanding uh, the other day was that it was it's one meeting, and uh, a restorative justice practitioner, as they're called, um, sits there at the meeting. I don't know whether they're sitting on the side of the 
the victim are they're paid by the spiritans, obviously, but but well, no, no, but they are paid by the spiritans. I don't know what their their role is, what to be a mediator or whatever. But just one, David, you, you've you've ignited something I came across last night in a book written by Marie Keenan, who ironically was quoted by both supporters of the spiritans the other day and opponents of the spiritans the other day uh, about restorative justice. The spiritans said, or the the people who were involved in restorative justice said they had got advice from Marie Keenan and then people who were against this description of it as restorative justice said they got uh, were reading stuff from Marie Keenan but this is what Marie Keenan has written about these closed institutions closed organisations David and Pat and uh, Frank it is also reported that sexual exploitation and boundary breaking is more likely to occur in closed organisations where individuals are trying to meet their personal professional social and sexual needs inside the boundary of one organisation there's a there's a book quoted by uh, Mr uh, 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 Mr or Miss White White found that such organisations that the intensity and duration of abuse incidents tend to be greater and more debilitating for victims than in more open systems and then the potential for abuses of power in closed systems and there's reference made earlier the Catholic Church, celibacy, uh, the Pope infallible, the Curia in the Vatican, uh, authoritarian leads to. Now, now, Dr. Marie Keenan of UCD is on the line now. Marie, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe. Um, Marie, what, what, what do you think of this programme? As I call it, I don't know if it is a programme. What do you think of what the Spiritans are now offering? Okay, well, just to, just to kind of double back a small little bit, and I'll answer that. In, when you were introducing it a little bit earlier, I was at a meeting, but then I was able to tune in. I got the impression about the press conference that you were suggesting that victims were brought in to support the Spiritans' program of restorative justice. I might have misunderstood that. No, you didn't. But I would... I would like to offer it another way around okay. and say that actually the Spiritans were brought in to respond to the demands from some victims for restorative justice. So what I think about uh, what well, I did, now... well, I, I tell, Okay, fully accept that. I fully accept your analysis there, Marie. But why? Why? Well, how? I no, no, hang, no. I was, I, I was, I, I was. Well, I was there at the press conference. Yeah, I know. And that. I, I know what way it was presented. Now, and it was presented. The invitation went out from a PR company uh, with the four names of the four victims who were supportive of this thing called they called and the spiritans called uh, restorative justice. But this was this was the, the there was a, a top table, two top tables. One of the four very brave. Uh, men who were speaking out publicly and, and who were being filmed as well, um, openly, which is an extraordinarily courageous thing to do. But the sure. the, the, the spirit and uh, high were on the other side. But this was the first time. This was the first time the Spiritans have spoken publicly since all these allegations emerged. Now, if this, why have why did the Spiritans then not speak before that? and say we support a public inquiry or we want this or we give the names or whatever. This, the, the, whole, the whole thing was diverted. Now, that could be good, could be bad. I'm not, the whole thing was diverted into this, this thing called restorative justice. Now, do you think you can have, because I've looked at all the definitions in your books and the European Council and the Probation and Welfare Service, where, where can you have restorative justice where the offender is not present. Yeah. 
Well, look, I'm able to help you with that, Joe, because this very day I'm supposed to have a book out called Sexual Violence and Restorative Justice um, Addressing the Justice Gap. Now, I've had an email from the publisher to say it's delayed a little bit, but in there, in time, you'll find it. But I'll help you now. There is one perspective that takes restorative justice as a process only, you know, between victim and offender, between Mm. uh, various parties. But with 20 years or more of nuanced reflection, systematic research, peer-reviewed processes Mm -hmm. that social sciences and others go through, um, different modalities in policymaking, etc. There is a more maximalist or larger definition of restorative justice that is now emerged and practiced in the field. And so what is it? So what, if you take criminal justice, things that criminal justice system ask, the questions, what law has been broken? Who broke it? How can we punish them? Or how can we rehabilitate them? We see that in the courts all the time. But what restorative justice, which is an additional justice mechanism that is available for for victims and for perpetrators and for institutions, I'll come back to that, it's an approach to crime and to justice that focuses on three different types of questions. What harm has been done, what needs have arisen as a result of that harm, and whose obligation is it to meet those needs? Mm -hmm. Now, what we know, you know from your previous life in, in uh, the probation service and in social work, and I know from uh, a life of working in sexual violence uh, with others, of course, in, in between other mm-hmm. various roles, um, that when you have someone who has been sexually abused, there are a number of parties that may have been or may, may be, have different levels of accountability for that harm. So you have the first person who is accountable and responsible and so on for the harm that has been caused is the individual perpetrator. But in institutional contexts, Mm. such as universities, such as religious orders, such as the Catholic Church, sometimes when the response to that, as is often the case, uh, particularly in, uh, when children were involved historically, as we're talking about these wonderful survivors telling their stories, um, the institutional response was not good. It was bad. And it contributed mm-hmm. to yeah. the level of damage I've and read, the level I've, of I've, injury. I've managed to get access to the first 40 pages of, of your new book. And it's uh, Oxford, oh, Un- Oxford University. It's online, by the way. You can buy it for mm-hmm. 110 euro. Restorative, yeah, uh, talk, yeah. well, that's your fault. Restorative justice is an approach that offers offenders, victims and the community an alternative pathway to justice. It promotes, this is from your book, it promotes the safe participation of victims in resolving the situation and offers people who accept responsibility for the yeah. harm caused, wait, no, wait, please, harm yeah, caused by their actions an opportunity to make themselves accountable to those they have harmed. It is based on the recognition that criminal behaviour not only violates the law, but also harms victims and community. The main beneficiaries of this programme, I I, I, are you familiar with what the Holy, what the Spiritans are offering? 
I am. Is it at one meeting or I can have no. as many meetings as I want? No, I don't think, I, I will tell you exactly what, uh, from my understanding from the survivors who were involved in it. So they came together, they want well, so, the, some, the, the, the so now, now, just to be clear, some of A the number. survivors. Yes. Some no, of the correct. survivors. Some of the survivors. Some of the survivors. Absolutely. And I, I'm here to try and, and uh, just give a perspective, Joe. That's all. Well, I just, um, want, I just want to make that clear because the yeah, and, that's and true. that is in Mr. Chapman, who you know and I know from our previous life, who was also a probation officer, and he's now a recognised restorative justice practitioner. Um, in the private sector, and that's where it's op- that's where it's well, the probation service operates as well in the cr- in the in the public sector. Um, the 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 four people, uh, Mr. Chapman said, in the two years that this has been going, maybe it was on Facebook, it was unbeknownst to a lot of people. This this was going, they, they had they had received nineteen names in the eight yeah. days. In the eight days that we've been talking about on Liveline, I think as of today, we've received we we've received. 30 names of offenders and numerous, much more than 19 survivors who've contacted us. And not yeah. one of them, not one of them asked for restorative justice. And by the way, I think, yeah. I think, the, I think the use, it'll be argued from here to kingdom come, but my understanding of restorative justice is there's something restorative in it for the victim and there's something restorative in it for the offender as well. There's a learning process on both sides and, and it's, I don't know how you can call it, you can call it restorative practice, but to call what the spiritans are offering and they, they can call it what they want, put any name on it. But I, I don't think it comes under no. any definition of restorative justice when the well, offender is not there, unless, unless you're saying the institution, in this case, the Spiritans, is at fault for the way, they, for, for the way they're structured. But that is entirely the point, Joe. Okay, so then we You are absolutely correct in saying that not all victims, survivors, would want restorative justice. For many victims and survivors, this would be the last thing they would want. But for other victims, because we know that um, there are diverse experiences of victimization, although there are many themes that you've been beautifully and brilliantly and in other ways demonstrating this week. But there are also diverse justice needs and interests. And for some survivors, they would want to make a report to the police and take their chances with the criminal justice system. And I'm finishing a report on delays in the processing of sex crime. And it isn't pretty how long victims are waiting. I'm not putting victims off going that. to the criminal but justice But I'm going to... Can I go but back, Mary? Can I go saying, back? Restorative justice. Just let me finish this okay. point, Joe. It's just that. Restorative justice. Just for It's really important so that nobody is more hurt by our conversations or any other conversations mm-hmm. in media about this. Restorative justice is a voluntary process. Absolutely. There must be a choice. In relation to sexual violence, it has to be victim-driven. That is different to how it was operated, let's say, in regard to youth crime, where it was primarily, say, Northern Ireland, various other jurisdictions, where it was primarily offered in the interest of the offender, the Mm -hmm. young offender, Mm -hmm. to divert them away from criminal justice systems. This is not what happens in sexual crime. It is has to be victim-focused and victim-led. Participation is voluntary. The offender 
And in this institution, the institution, in this instance, the institution, Mm -hmm. if that's the party, must accept responsibility for their part in the harm done in order to be eligible for participation in the process. You cannot have an institution or an individual coming saying, I didn't do it. Restorative justice is not appropriate in that time, in that place, okay. at that, in that. And must, they have to take must the, the institu- or whatever they go. Marie, must the institution that's accepting responsibility for individuals who are dead and they may never have met uh, for the crimes they committed, must the institution be open to change? Absolutely, okay. Joe. So you, t- you, you tell yeah. me, you tell me, Marie. I'm going back to your first one of your. You've, you've, you've written some incredible, essential reading. Your your book on child sexual abuse on the Catholic Church. Catholic Church. Yeah. You, you talk about celibacy, chastity, the Vatican, the Pope, infallibility, and and this is a direct quote from your book. It's also reported. I raised it here. The sexual exploitation, the boundary break, more likely to occur in closed organisations where individuals are trying to meet their personal, social, sexual needs inside the boundary of one organisation. Uh, white, you quote, uh, white, white found in such organisations that the intensity of abuse incidents tended to, to be greater and more debilitating for victims than in more open uh, system. Uh, such organisations are magnified by the pure gen- the poor general working conditions, you explain what you mean, such as poor work-life balance for workers, the loss of outside sources of replenishment for both workers and the organisation, the depletion of staff's energy and health, but last but not least, the distortion of the organisational values resulting from the lack of feedback that limits its sense uh, of reality. And then you also previously mentioned celibacy, the vows you take of service, of cel- also of chastity, uh, inter alia, is, is presumed, of obedience to the Pope. Nothing, nothing that Martin Kelly can say to you can change any of that. Unless there's going to be women priests tomorrow. Unless priests are going to be allowed marry. Unless priests are go- the, the Pope is not infallible anymore. Unless the Curia does not have the control that you talk about in your book. Unless the Vatican doesn't have, have control that you talk about. In- Nothing can change. The, the logic of what's being said, if this is a restorative justice process under the restorative justice uh, frame, I know the frameworks are, as you say, ch- changing and being nuanced. But if this is restorative justice process with the Holy Ghost order, the end result is the disbandment of the Holy Ghost order if it's victim driven. You see Joe, I I stand over every line that I wrote in that book in 2011-12 the core institution of the Catholic Church has to change it is an, an institution that is usually problematic. It's and not going to change. The Pope said it's not going to change. No, no end to celibacy. No women priests. No end to chastity. No, no end to po- papal infallibility. I agree with you. I agree. I need. I need I to take a break, but I will bring you back in. I know you were. Okay, you were stuck you. for time. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. Among others, uh, Dr. Marie Keenan, um, who is Associate Professor of Social Policy in UCD, and I highly recommend her work. It's online, by the way. You, you can buy it online, but you can access a lot of her work online. It's, it's, uh, it is the, the, uh, the accepted um, 
Um, what's the word? Do, do you accept uh, manuscripts and documentation in this whole area of sexuality, Catholic Church abuse? Joe Tracy, a quick point, please. I'm really stuck for time. Uh, you're an addiction clinical specialist. What do you think of the restorative justice process think, as outlined? I think, very, I think it's very like your comment there from your listener. Uh, handing me a tissue at this stage is very ineffective. We should be calling for the complete disbandment of the spirits and Holy Ghost Father. They're not fit for purpose. They it becomes clearly obvious that a paedophile ring was existing within the colleges and the schools, and they just moved them around from country to country. I have witnessed and heard the hurt that was caused to people by sexual abuse. It doesn't go away. It never goes away. People have died. Their parents have yeah, died. They will get no resource. Okay, Patrick Bennett, who's a survivor, we were talking to earlier, Patrick, about... Uh, this man Duggan. Patrick, what do you think, having heard... Well, now, I know we're, we're, Maria could only come on at 20 to 3, but... Um, mm-hmm. um, Mary, sorry. Um, what do you think, having heard more about restorative justice as outlined? Still the same, Joe. Um, unless somebody is held publicly accountable, and by publicly accountable, I mean by the justice system, because those who did it be they alive or dead okay. it's obvious that there was a cover up going on and even the, the carry on of the spirits over the last four days with you is proof okay. that they're still hiding stuff they're still trying to cover up okay M- M- uh, Dr. Ma- Marie Keaton um Mary, sorry. Um, does it make any does it make any difference that the spiritans are? They seem to be promoting this thing they call restorative justice. They're paying for it, by the way. Does could that I, make it? Does yeah. that make any difference? No. Could I just say? I think there's a small re- misrepresentation um, or a misunderstanding. Okay. Let's put it that way of what actually is on offer here. Obviously, it's it's much more than sitting in rooms telling stories and and sniffling with tissues. It's an indefinite financing of counselling. But more importantly, let's go to the, well, the counselling. Is, the counselling is offered after the meeting. It's, it's, not, anyway. it's, not part, it's not part of the meeting. No, it's not part of the okay. meeting, but the support and so on is yeah. offered for people course, whether they take a meeting or not. Yes. A meeting is a very minor part, but there is ongoing uh, restorative engagement about access okay. to personal records as of right, about... Um, financial compensation just give you let me give you a quick figure joe if mm. you're thinking and i know you're not personally but if if one is thinking that the, we want survivors to be all pushed into the one group no, and no, we want no, to say no. the only route off, open is public inquiries which i'm not okay. against or for um but you're where where they're saying you know criminal justice let, then what about redress and what about okay. compensation? Okay. Then you go to criminal, civil justice. Let me okay. just give you a figure, Joe. Well, I had a survivor who was yes. uh, who was granted one hundred thousand euro in a settlement. Fifty thousand of that went in legal fees. Oh, I understand that. I, under- I understand that. So a that, restorative that. mechanism is an is an additional mechanism. Okay, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. Completely I didn't know. involuntary. I, okay, okay. Thanks indeed, Doctor Marie Keenan. Um, Lisa Mayberry is a serious producer. Brenda Dunder produced, and Ray Darcy's next. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815.